this is Mike Dilt with the Relax Back UK show on UK Health Radio, your global real feel-good radio station. On the Relax Back UK show we explore all kinds of health topics, so keep listening and enjoy the ride. Thank you for joining me, Mike Dilk, on this week's Relax Back UK show. We spend enormous sums of money on supplements of vitamins and minerals. In fact, in 2020, worldwide, £120 billion. We all want a quick fix and supplements are sold to be that that mecca, that sort of health mecca. There's, there's very strong marketing around them. I talked with dietitian Sophie Medlin about why it is such a big business. Is it such a great plan to spend your hard-earned cash on these things? And also, what is in the pills really always that great for us? Then I speak to a couple of people who are starting their career journeys in the NHS. I big up the NHS, the National Health Service in general, and I believe it really is a wonderful thing and has an awful lot of job opportunities in it. And they're not all doctors and nurses. So far into my course, just the amount that I'm learning and preparing for my placement, it's honestly like the the best thing I've ever done. I speak to a trainee therapist, radiographer and adult, uh, trainee adult nurse. So please do stick around for a great show. Thank you. The station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. Sophie Medlin is a dietitian, and recently I saw a video of hers on Instagram talking about vitamins and supplements and how some of them contain things we should think twice about before ingesting. I thought, goodness, really? Do they? Absolutely. It's the Wild West out there, Mike. (laughs) It's the Wild West. But first of all, I I did a little bit of homework and um, I thought, I wonder just how big the market is. How much do we spend on vitamins and supplements um, globally? Um, uh, Have you got any idea? I I found a figure. I don't know if you've got one. It's huge numbers, isn't it? What figure have you found? I found a figure. This is just Googling on the internet, so I I can't be sure of the source, but uh, 120 billion in 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's the figure that we work with. I think that's about right. Yeah. Well, it's just bonkers. And then I thought, all right, that's worldwide. Let's break it down a little bit. What do we spend in the UK? Have you got, a, 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 again, I found a figure only on the on, on the internet, but 
Yeah, which one have you got? No, I found in 2019, 442 million pounds. Yeah, and that's pre-COVID, and I think we'll probably talk about that, but I think that figure's probably, I think we'll probably add an extra 100 million onto that. So, uh, an impossible question, uh, and I kind of specialise in impossible questions, I suppose. Why why do we spend so much money on this stuff? What makes us want to do this? I think there's a number of things going on with that. Everybody wants a quick fix for their health, right? So as much as people like me, dietitians might say, oh, you need to eat more fruit and vegetables and you need to eat oily fish and you need to do these things and you need to adjust your lifestyle and exercise more and all those good things. What people really want is to be able to take a pill and for it to solve their problems because that's much easier and requires far less effort than, than you know, having to do the lifestyle changes. And that's not the case for all supplements. Some have really excellent applications at the right times and the right people. But ultimately, we all want a quick fix and supplements are sold to be that that mecca, that sort of health mecca. There's, there's very strong marketing around them. If you go to a health food store, if you go to Boots, they'll sell you multiple different supplements. If you ask them any questions, they'll sell you hundreds of different things. And we just get caught up in these sorts of things, I think. And, uh, you know, for most people, Mike, the truth is they've got a supplement cupboard full of supplements they don't take very regularly because they don't notice any difference with them. Right. Actually, something that I noticed, um, my wife signed up for, a, a well, she bought some supplements over the internet. And without knowing she'd signed up for a monthly consignment of these things so every month an amount of money was actually it was i think it was like 20 or 30 pounds it was you know it it wasn't just two quid or something and was taken Mm. out of her account and this thing arrived and she hadn't it was very sneakily done so they made her sign up without really realizing that was bad enough but after the third month she thought right enough of this i'm going to cancel it you want to try cancelling these things. They are the websites are very mm-hmm. cleverly designed to make it as difficult as possible to cancel. So that makes me a bit worried about the whole industry to start off with. I have to say, and that, uh, yeah, I mean that's a really obviously a moral thing to do with anything. You know, there's no in terms of in terms of sort of consumer rights and the things that we should expect if we're signing up to something on a subscription, that should be absolutely clear from the get-go. And that shouldn't be something that you're surprised by at any point. But it's a very predatory market and it's a very um, lucrative market if you get the right model in place. And people are very keen on this subscription model because, of course, that's recurring income for people. So it's a challenging thing to get right, for sure. And the other thing that surprises me is... If you go for a ride on the tube, or maybe other places as well, but I've noticed it on the tube, there are adverts on on the tube. And if you sit down and you look opposite, there'd be like five adverts. And almost without fail, two or three of them are for supplements. You know, and that, that yeah. seems like too much. I, I mean, obviously yeah. anyone can buy an advert there, but it's it obviously it's worth their while doing it, otherwise they wouldn't. So, you know, we do seem Maybe, to like these yeah. things. Yeah, we do. And there's a massive market for it. And I just wish that, you know, fruit and veg distributors had enough money to, to advertise on the tube and things like that, because we might get a bit more traction with healthy eating as well, you know. Maybe it's just not as sexy advertising not, fruit yeah. and veg in the same <laughs> way. In fact, I've never seen an advert for fruit and veg. Maybe that's not true, actually. The, the packages, the boxes that get sent out every, every week, yeah. you see the odd advert for them. Okay. All right. So um, 
Are your are your patients? You mentioned you mentioned COVID. Are, are the people you deal with? Are they recently been taking more of these things because they're worried about COVID? Yeah, absolutely. I would say most patients that I talk to now will be taking various different things for their immune system that they believe are going to boost their immune system and things like that. So vitamin C is a great example. It's been heavily marketed through COVID for, you know, it has a health claim associated with it that vitamin C can uh, support the normal function of your immune system. But that's been extrapolated by the supplement companies to suggest that, you know, you're not going to get COVID if you're taking loads of vitamin C. Uh, and it's a complicated thing, right? Because if you don't have enough vitamin C, your immune system actually doesn't work very effectively. And when you have any kind of viral illness or any illness, you do use up vitamin C more quickly. But whether we need to be pumping people with lots of supplements or whether they could just drink an extra glass of orange juice a day, that's the, that's the real question there. Yes. And probably eating an orange or eating an apple is cheaper than pumping yourself full of supplements. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, And it's in its natural form. So you get the other benefits as well. And there's lots of positive reasons to do that over taking another pill, another capsule that's gone through a factory and is ultimately an ultra processed product. All right. What about the kind of legal aspect of this? Are there any rules, regulations, laws that cover supplements you know because we're eating these things surely companies just can't put whatever they want in well there are certain ingredients that you can't use in supplements but ultimately anyone can decide they want to design a supplement so you could say mike i want to put this many million times or hundred times our like our normal requirement of vitamin c in this capsule and take it off to a manufacturer and they can make that for you there's not any reason that you have to have any credentials to be able to design a supplement we've seen over recent years lots of influencers having their own supplement range some celebrities bringing out supplement ranges without dietitians or nutritionists on board. And you can see that as a professional, I can see that because they've been designed in such a weird way with things you just wouldn't ever use if you had had any education in the area. Um, And then the, the only place where there is some real regulation around supplements is around what you can say about them. So the health claims that you can make. And still, these are absolutely flouted by the industry. As you can imagine, I see illegal health claims on packages all the time. But whenever you put a nutrient in, there may be a health claim associated with that nutrient. So, for example, B vitamins have energy, uh, uh, energy health claims associated with them, things like helps to maintain normal energy levels. So if you, you, you that's a, another reason why companies will chuck B vitamins into supplements so that they can say, you know, mm-hmm. it maintains normal energy levels and use those health claims. So we have a lot of regulation within the EU. So whether we continue to subscribe to that or not will be up for debate. But there are a lot of legislation in the EU around what you can say about your supplement, but hardly anything about what you can and can't put in it. Okay, but even the the rules about what you can say about the supplement, those those are often breached. People ignore them. Yeah, and so so they don't get enforced. So if I if I was to say make the Mike Dilt supplement put a ton of vitamin c in it and say if you take this your your immune system will be rock hard yeah and i could call it the mike dill rock hard um immunity yeah so i've I've made one already you know that that will be the strap line yeah i'd be very unlikely to get a tap on the shoulder saying hang on a moment you know you're doing something wrong here what it would what it would take is someone like me or general like a member of the 
public to say to report you to the ASA to the Advertising Standards Authority to get that taken down and for you to be told you can't sell it in that way. Goodness. All right. Okay. So it's quite unlikely. So the thing that surprises me, because we're all spending so much money on this stuff, and there's so much money to be made anyway, anyway, why cut corners? You know, <laughs> you'll make a load of money, whatever you do, just do it properly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, I totally agree. And, you know, candidly, I design supplements for the industry and I love that work that I do. It doesn't mean it's not the Wild West, but it's, it's a challenge. Um, yeah, the, the problem that you have with supplements is that the markup is really high. So if you imagine that uh, I've designed your supplement or your vitamin C supplement, Mike, Mike's rock out immunity supplement. Yep. Um, you what's when you're selling it into shops, retail shops in particular, you want to have a profit from that. The distributor wants to have a profit from that. The shop wants to have a profit from that. So immediately, even if you're selling, like buying like a £30 supplement, you're looking at something that's probably cost about, it would certainly less than £5 to produce. And if you're buying a £15 supplement, you're looking at something that's even cheaper to produce. And then if you're looking to buy a £5 supplement again, they're probably spending less than a pound on actually creating the supplement. And that's why we end up with supplements that are largely bulking agents non-actives full of much much cheaper ingredients that don't actually do anything in our bodies okay uh, yeah i was going to ask you what do they put in what kind of things do, and so you, you just said they're bulking agents so what, what does bulk that agents, what does that mean what is that well bulk agents are things that are put in that aren't vitamins and minerals aren't active ingredients that you want to buy they're just there to take up the space in the capsule and that often is because what you're actually buying is just a tiny little amount and not actually very effective. It might be that the, they want to make the capsule look bigger so you feel like you're getting more for your money. But <laughs> yeah. one thing to remember is that if the first um, the first ingredient on the ingredients list is a bulking agent or a filler, that means you're buying more bulking agent than you are vitamin. And normally yeah. those are things like talc. And I'm not sure when you last wanted to eat some talcum powder, Mike, but nobody wants to and there's concerns about asbestos contamination all sorts of things so there's lots of reasons to avoid companies that are using a lot of bulking agents in their products and often especially in some of the sort of leading high street vitamin supplements that we see there'll be four or five bulking agents and fillers in there because there's just they're just not spending any money or any significant money on their on their active ingredients okay i i read an article in a, a magazine now that i really enjoy which i think might be more a sign of my age than anything else but it's a great magazine i'm going to mention its name is which and okay. uh, they they did uh, a, uh, some research and wrote an article about vitamins and they said that they they didn't talk about the fillers um, per se but they spoke about the actual amount of vitamins so they said quite often these pills didn't have the amount of vitamins in that they said they did so yeah. you know not only are some companies putting in bulking agents and what have you they're not putting in the vitamins that they say they are have you have you come across that yeah absolutely so that's a, a real issue um uh, hang on yeah, it's a real issue in many different ways and one of the reasons it may seem like it doesn't really matter right it might seem like what's well, just vitamins it doesn't matter if i get a bit less than what i've been sold but when it comes to things like uh, folic folic acid that we need to take, women need to take when they're pregnant to prevent neural tube defects, when it comes to iron deficiency, when it comes to correcting vitamin deficiencies, actually getting enough of those vitamins and the vitamin that you think you've been sold is really, really important, mm -hmm. life or death in some situations. 
And there's a real trend towards this kind of natural supplement market where people use terms like food grown and things like that. But there's no really no guarantee then that there's anything like what's on the label going into the product. And again, crucially, won't matter too much for the general population, but there are some as a, you know, as a dietitian who uses vitamins to treat problems. There are a subgroup of people who will really struggle if they don't get what they think they're taking. Again, particularly those pregnant women. Sure. So if people, is there a list somewhere? Oh, this might be a very difficult question. Um, again, another unfair question. A list of producers or manufacturers that actually do have what they say is in the supplement little pill. It is actually in it. And, you know, that someone's done a test and say, yeah, generally these guys are OK. So there are there are third parties that can test the amount of actives that are in vitamins and say, yes, it's got what it says it has in it. But it's quite expensive for companies to do that. And when you think how saturated the market is with vitamins and minerals in supplements, if you look on Amazon or anywhere else, not many companies have done that. It's an expensive process and it's something that, that you know, you can get away without doing. So why would you? So read, yeah, so the, 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 um, the solution might be read the witch article. And then you can yeah. find out. I'm not. I'm not going to mention the, the, the particular names here. It's probably not a good plan to. But on on the same article, it spoke about something which actually you mentioned already, and that's this idea of misleading claims. Yeah. Um, now, so is this an idea of really people can say semantics? People can use words and get very close to the wire. So we'll we'll read that, not really think about it, and say, of course, that'll be wonderful. Wonderful for my. Um, my cognitive, my brain cognition, and I'll, I'll be even cleverer or slightly less thick, whatever. Um, and we're just essentially taken in by marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's lots of things that uh, supplement brands will do that mean that they get away with it as well. So you can sort of talk about vitamin D, but you can't talk about how vitamin D in your product will improve health. So you might have done a separate part of the website that's not selling the product. So that, that kind of allows you to talk about vitamin D and all the health potential health benefits of vitamin D without saying our supplement will provide these benefits because there are health claims and there are nutrition claims and the health claims are very strict about what you can and can't say about the vitamins, even though there might be really amazing research on the benefits of particular nutrients there's only certain things that you can say and health claims that you can make and they're very rigid, but companies will get around that for sure. Okay. That's quite um, alarming, uh, really. Um, you, you mentioned earlier that there are sort of famous people, um, you know, there might be sports people or actors or, you know, just people in the public eye that sell these things. They might even have their own brand or own line of them. Um, what, what, I mean, why would they do that? Is that just to make money very often? Yeah. Yeah, they see the gap, they see the market, they they go to a manufacturer and the manufacturer says, yeah, we'll make that for you. So they do. And that's how it works. And they've, you know, whenever I'm working, when I'm designing a vitamin, I will go to the manufacturers and I will give them a, a list of what I want in there and also a list of what I don't want in there. And uh, they'll often come back with something that's very different to what I've asked for because they're used to companies not really caring about the additives and the bulking agents and what they're putting in. They're just happy with that. They also will often fiddle around with levels of things and change things around. And if you haven't got an absolute hawk eye on that, you are going to find that you've made a product that's very different to what you thought you were making and also has all sorts of things in it that you wouldn't want to you know, swallow, that you wouldn't want to eat. So 
it's when you work with manufacturers and they're generally not used to people being very diligent about these things it's it's a challenge so you could go Mike with your supplement and you could say I want this much and this much and this much of everything this is how I want it to be and they'll do it pretty close to that they'll send you something back and you'll say yeah that sounds good it's about the right price and off you go that's the job done there's no one there's not a nutritionist checking necessarily there's not anyone that's doing any sort of significant due diligence on that what if we're lucky what the manufacturers might do is to double check that you're not putting in what we call above the safe tolerable upper limits so that's over which people we know that people have harmful they have harmful effects but on many many vitamins and minerals there's no tolerable upper limit we don't know what the tolerable upper limit is so you know you're taking a real gamble if you're taking mega doses of things over six months so if you, if you have too much of some of these vitamins can they do you harm yeah so some vitamins are more certainly more harmful than others so most water soluble vitamins if you take lots of them you're essentially just creating expensive wee because you will just pee them out whereas with some fat soluble vitamins in particular you can absolutely overdose with certain minerals you can absolutely overdose and cause your physical harm to your body some of which will be irreversible similarly we just don't know the impact of taking anything at high doses for everybody you know genetically we're all different we'll process things differently we'll have different quirks of our metabolism that may mean that things build up more in our bodies and we don't metabolize them in the same way as everybody else and we don't know we you know i can't predict whether you're one of those people or not like you know it's it's impossible all right well let's not take the risk to some extent um (laughs) Last thing I want to ask you about is because I, I know you've done some work with um, a, a company called uh, Height, mm-hmm. and uh, they're running this uh, thing where you can take a picture of a- any supplements you're taking and send it into their Instagram account, and they they will get back to you and say um, in detail about the, the contents of you know what the fillers are and all this sort of thing, and also what the um, if, if, if on the on on the label it's written what this will do for you they can say well actually you know, this isn't quite proven or or, or or that sort of thing and i actually did this with some um supplements that my wife makes cognitive supplements cognitive function and uh they wrote back and saying well yeah you know it's probably more or less what they say on the label is 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 in the pill and there aren't too many horrible fillers or anything but actually, this has never been proven to help with cognitive function. Um, and, you know, I found this somewhat alarming because I, I just assumed that if this stuff has been sold, someone somewhere um, will have proven without a doubt that it will help. Because why would you sell it? How could they possibly sell it? So it was really quite a surprise uh, to me. Um, yeah. And I like to think I sometimes think about these things, but obviously not enough. Well, it's just, I mean, the thing is, we don't have any nutrition education at school in this country. So how are you expecting people to know? And manufacturers are very clever. You know, it's a very uh, lucrative industry where people are set to make a lot of money if they get the marketing right and they can sell it to you. And it's clearly worked in the case of your wife. The job's done, isn't it? They've done their job and there's no, you know, they don't have any, there's no comeback. If your wife says, well, I've been taking this for two years and I still got Alzheimer's. There's no comeback to that. No one's going to, they're not going to do anything. They've got no... Uh, what's the right word they've got no obligation to no. deliver what they want to deliver right. so I'll, I'll tell you the scariest part of the story all right my wife is a professor uh, a professor in cancer research okay so yeah. she you know she's in the well she's not really in the world of supplements but <laughs> she's not dumb yeah, she's <laughs> and yeah, she's used really, to looking absolutely. at you know 
an, an analysis of what things might do for you. And um, she bought the stuff it, and made me take it. <laughs> and it still relies on the consumer yeah. to be educated and to support them. There's, there's not a kind of governing body that really protects the consumer around these kinds of things. And, you know, there really needs to be. And in the interest of time, I'm really interested or import, I think it's really important that we bring up uh, something that happened last year. So there's a an additive that's in many supplements on one of the leading supplement retailers online it's in over 160 170 of their products and it's called titanium dioxide last year it was announced that it's no no longer considered safe for human consumption but it's still heavily in many different supplement products and from august this year retailers and and manufacturers are being forced to reformulate without silicate without titanium dioxide in their supplements but you will still find that many of the supplements on the shelves and on your in your kitchen shelves potentially still have this uh, additive in it. And it's basically, annoyingly, it doesn't even need to be there. It's there to make them look nicer. It's there to make the supplements look a little bit more opaque. So they look a little bit more appealing. And, you know, that's been people have been taking it for years in their supplements uh, and, you know, no longer considered safe. There's worries about it potentially causing cancer. So right, these so things check, are check your stocks and see this stuff is in it. Right now, I, I, yeah. I know you're busy. You need to go. But before you go, please, uh, if, if people, if this has thrown out questions for people and they want to find out a bit more, I, I, I know there's a lot of information on your website. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a, a good resource. But let people know what um, what that is and if there are any other good resources they should go to. Yeah, so you can um, come onto our website, which is citydietitians.co.uk. The Heights team are doing an amazing job of uh, debunking nutrition things and, and educating people around the dangers of the nutrition market as well at the moment. So jump on Heights. That's your Heights at your Heights everywhere online and everything else, and at your height. Uh, sorry, yourheights.com. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram, which is at Sophie Dietitian. And on there, I'm often sharing these different things that I'm doing with different companies and sort of trying to raise awareness of the risks within this market. Very good. Sophie, thank you so much for chatting. I I really do think this stuff is important. So many thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. It used to be hard to find the world's most wonderful alcohol-free drinks. Not anymore. Whether it's a health thing, a lifestyle thing, or you're trying new things, make sure you save yourself from the guessing game of the supermarket shelves and shop with zerozilchzip.co.uk for the world's most carefully curated range of alcohol-free beers, wines, spirits, and more. Health Radio listeners can save 5% with the code HEALTH5. Visit zerozilchzip.co.uk or click our banner on the UK Health Radio website. Discover alcohol freedom with Zero Zilch Zip. Because nothing's better. UK Health Radio, the station that makes you feel good. So, to look at job opportunities in the NHS, I chatted with Tamrin. She's a trainee therapeutic radiographer and Vic, a trainee adult nurse. Hi, Um, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) So as as part of the discussion of opportunities within the NHS, um, I thought I'd start off with 
a question which is probably a bit unfair, um, but hell, you know, I'll just uh, I'll ask it anyway. Do you actually yeah. know how many people Sorry. work for the NHS? I can help with it. I'd go for about 1.3 million in the UK or something. To yeah, point. I think I think you're right. So I did a quick Google before we started chatting and I got 1.4 million. So there's, there's oh, a lot. Yeah. And so I thought, all right, let's just see what the latest population of the UK is. So I did another quick Google and I came up with 67 million. So, I mean, that's probably more or less right to the nearest few million or so. So, so that means that you know, one in 48 of us work uh, for the NHS, which is like, you know, that's a lot of people. So if you've got a group of 50 um, on a bus or something, the chances are that one or more work in the NHS. So th there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, um, but they're not all doctors. You know, people think the NHS, okay, they must all be doctors, but that's far from the truth. And I'm, I'm talking to uh, a, a nurse and a radiographer but there's a lot more professions. So before we sort of home in a little bit on what you guys get up to, um, it might be worth mentioning some of the myriad of other things other than doctors that you can be and work for the NHS. So guys, Vic and Tamarin, have you, have you got an idea of the kind of massive range of professions that the NHS uh, needs? Yeah, there's, there's plenty. I can think of occupational therapists, speech therapists, um, health visitors, healthcare assistants, medical physicists, um, oncologists, certainly people that I've come across recently. Yeah, so I mean, it's a long list. And I, actually, I was thinking people that aren't even medical, you know, because there's an awful lot of buildings to look after, um, catering, all these people get fed, you know, patients get fed. I mean, there's lots of jokes about hospital food, but you know, people, they have, this is all work that has to be done. Um, administration, maintenance of medical equipment. Uh, the first person you meet when you go into any hospital uh, or any GP practice is a re receptionist. So, you know, there's, there's yeah. just thousands of different um, jobs that are required for these, you know, one in 48 people in the UK uh, uh, to do. So, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a huge uh, vital machine. But let's, let's home in a little bit on what specifically what you guys get up to. Tamarin, you're, you're a, a thera therapeutic radiographer, is that right? Well, I'm a student therapeutic radiographer, so I'm okay. a first year student at uni and, right. and yeah, hoping to embark on a career in therapeutic radiography. Okay, well you're a student but you know a lot more about it than me, for sure, <laughs> I would hope. So the first question has got to be, what is a therapeutic radiographer? I couldn't tell you what that is. I've been asked that question quite a lot recently, uh, even when I embarked on the course, friends and family weren't so sure either. Radiography, most people know as taking images, so you know, when you break an arm or leg or um, any sort of diagnostic um, imaging that's done is, is done by, by them. As a therapy radiographer, we actually treat uh, cancer, so we treat the tumour with um, high energy x-rays. So okay. we do do some imaging for treatment purposes, but uh, the focus of what we do is um, actually treating cancer. Okay, all right. So it's a, a case of hitting the right spot so you don't damage the parts that the body want, we want to keep and you get rid of the tumour in its most basic form. Correct. So you're yeah, a good so shot. The, yeah, there's quite, quite, quite a lot of uh, science involved with it. Um, inevitably, you've got to go through healthy tissue to get to the tumour. And um, yeah, it's a, a, ch a challenge to get the right amount of treatment to the tumour uh, 
to to kill the, the cancer cells and not damage okay. the healthy yeah. tissue. So, so essentially, you're doing a vital but actually really quite specialised role within the NHS. Um, that is what a, a, ther a therapeutic radiographer is. You know, it's pretty specialised but pretty vital. It is indeed. But uh, going back to all, all the different roles within um, the NHS, supporting that, th th there's there's quite a few different teams that get involved. So um, the therapy radiographer is the person who actually delivers the treatment on the day, but we will support it by quite a scientific uh, and you know, technically sound team to make sure the equipment is working correctly um, and that the dose for the treatment is also correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's lots of people involved in in what you do. Um, okay. Yes, I, I was quite surprised um, on my first placement um, in the department at how sort of labour intensive each patient's treatment is from the time of you know they first referred and then you know diagnosed and then come in for treatment. They would have seen a lot of highly skilled people, um, right? You know, with a lot of specialist knowledge before they even get to us, and then within our department is you know varied roles as well so how many different roles are there in your department Tamron? can you can you say, say that again how many different roles are there within your department well even even within uh therapeutic radiography we've got um pre-treatment so when a patient comes to visit us initially uh we do a ct scan and um set them up in a position that we would then be treating them in later so we need to be able to reproduce that each day they visit us and that's done by the pre-treatment team. Um, that information they acquire on the first visit is then sent for um, to the planning team to be able to plan the, the treatment. So that's, a, that's another department. And then once the treatment plan is um, done, also overseen by uh, oncologists as well, they, they have to approve everything um, at that stage. And then the, the next visit will be into the... Um, radiotherapy department and um, to actually start treatment so there's a team of staff there that actually replicate what was done on the first visit and start the treatment and then they'll visit us up to you know some sort of five six weeks one treatment every day others will come in just for a, a one-off treatment so each cancer is different each patient with each cancer is different as well so it's a personalized treatment plan Personalised treatment plan and a lot of people involved. All right, let, let's move on, on on to Vic, if I may. So, Vic, you are a, um, you're an adult nurse, trainee adult nurse, is that right? That's correct. Yep. Okay. How 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 far into your course are you? Uh, I'm only about eight weeks, so I actually haven't even had my first placement yet. I've got that in two weeks' time. Okay. All right. Well, the question's got to be: Are you glad you came? so far eight yes. weeks in yes a hundred percent um this has been like quite a, a shift for me like quite a career change for me my background is actually in like music and marketing I was a creative um marketing manager for a record label all right so the shift the shift has been huge I don't think you could get two different careers but so far into my course just the amount that I'm learning and preparing for my placement it's honestly like the, the best thing I've ever done Okay, so tell us a bit more about adult nursing. Is it is it a, a specialty within nursing as a whole? Um, I would say yes, because I went down this path through university, but you don't have to, which I can talk about next. 
So there's kind of like a number of fields that when you think about going to university, you kind of have to pick like a specialism. So it's between adult nursing, children's nursing, learning disabilities and mental health. So they're usually like four the four different like categories that you can go down at university level to go into nursing. Okay. I picked adult just because of the scope of like mature patients that I'd be seeing from like 18 to 100. And that kind of interested me a little bit more than, than perhaps children's nursing. So that's why I decided to, to go down that, like an adult field. Okay. And presumably it's a very practical course. There's, there's a, you know, the number of lectures etc is a minimum and you are out there at the sharp end um, getting on dealing with dealing with patients for most of the time is that right you're nodding your head so yeah. Yeah. um i would say like my experience so far of the course i would say this first certainly because we do like a biology lesson and I would say at the moment because everyone's come from like different backgrounds and different experience and different levels I would say like the biology side is getting all the students at one base level so we all have the same knowledge we all have the same kind of like the same level of learning um, and then we have a lot of theory work which is well pretty obvious like underpinned by different theories and then we also do a lot of case study so we're introduced to different um, different symptoms and we have to think about using our biology how we would treat a patient what teams would be involved in their care and then I think by the time I graduate I'll have done 2,600 hours in a hospital and 2,600 hours worth of theory work as well Okay. And you don't actually become a registered nurse unless you've actually hit them them numbers. So it is it, it's going to be quite intense. As I say, I'm only eight weeks into it so far. So it's I'm not I'm not a you know a different a different level. You are, you are liking it so far. Hundred percent. This might again might be a slightly difficult question for both of you because you're relatively new to your the, the, these careers. But based on what you know so far, would you recommend the path you've taken to, to others? Yeah, yeah de definitely. Uh, on, on two accounts, just to sort of reiterate on what Vic said about um, the, the way in which we learn on the course. So the course itself, I think, would be attractive to a lot of people because um, and for those maybe who haven't studied for a little while, um, which I was a, a bit concerned about, um, because the way in which the course is structured is, is an awful lot of practical. So everything we're learning um, you can apply directly um, to what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis in, in a department. Um, I've just completed a physics module and physics is daunting for most people and it was for, <laughs> for myself, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it this time around compared to at school because um, it was very specific to the equipment mm -hmm. we use. So how your know, x-rays are generated and all, all that sort of thing. So it's far more relatable um, and yeah, it doesn't feel yeah quite like regular study I don't don't think at all it's, it's it's difficult but I think from the way the course is done and, and what you're learning about it's an area of interest I think would be attracted to a lot of people and then from an actual sort of job uh, role point of view um my current experience with the NHS is in the vaccine centers in Cambridge with Cambridge Community NHS um trust and that's been fantastic because there again I've had good experience of people coming from a whole lot of different um roles within the nhs um, different levels of experience but the teamwork and camaraderie is is absolutely fantastic so i think um yeah people are generally quite welcoming quite supportive um you're all dealing with the same issues together and everybody has different strengths and weaknesses and that seems to be recognized 
and as a team um you yeah you get through both things together so I, I think from my limited experience it seems a particularly attractive working environment all right well that that, that sounds very good uh, so you would recommend people to follow in your footsteps let me ask uh, about something which is uh well difficult to talk about sometimes but vital what about pay when you're doing your courses do you do you get paid uh, vic you mentioned you're going to be doing 2600 hours work um practical work before the end of your course how does that work do you get paid for that um in short no however what the nhs have set up um to encourage more student nurses is there's actually an nhs learning bursary which no matter what field of nursing you go down everyone is entitled to it so what we get is um think we get £5,000 a year extra for every year of our, our degree and we don't have to pay that back that's a grant from the government so if people are perhaps slightly worried or they've got families and a mortgage and, and children I, I appreciate it is probably quite hard um, financially but there is support out there and there's also support as well where if you have a child I think under the age of 18 there's also financial support there as well okay. so in short oh, sorry, did that, do you get that five thousand pounds during the course yes, yes we do yeah okay all right so yeah that, that... and that's um we, we get the same as um therapeutic radiography students and there are quite a few other allied health professional courses um that would be offered the same so that that's a significant um difference um i've got a, a regular student loan as well um which is helpful but you do have to to pay that back but in manageable um amounts so that that's not too daunting but um definitely knowing that we had the extra support uh, throughout the course means one i can i do have a part you know, a couple of part-time jobs but the pressure's not on to work perhaps quite as hard as i might feel i need to and i can actually dedicate a bit more time to um studying which is which is great yeah which is actually should be your main focus really um i guess in a few years yeah, time I, you know if i if i require a radiographer and uh, tamarin comes along and points this thing at me and zaps me i would like her to be um very experienced um and had done all her training perfectly um <clears throat> which i'm sure will be the case so yeah, and I, I, I think people can be reassured, certainly in my limited experience on the course I'm doing, the, the way in which it's taught, because there is such a practical element, and to some extent, um, it, it probably doesn't even really matter w which um, university or college you um, affiliated to, because the course is, um, has, has to meet um, the, the same standards in order to gain registration oh. with with, with with any professional body that you're going to then work for and all of us have been in an actual department for a considerable number of hours where we supervised and um sort of te tested so it's quite nice knowing that you're going to come out ready to be able to do that job straight away it's not something where you've gone to um, university or college and completed a course and then had to look for something to do and try and match your your knowledge and skill too. We we training specifically to come out and do that role. Um, so we should be capable and confident by the end of it. Yeah, no, very good. Glad to hear it. So let me ask about um, do you do you feel that your the your circle of of friends or relatives or what have you outside the NHS are kind of really rooting for you? Do they kind of appreciate what you're doing? E to either of you, really? I, th I think. 
they do. Certainly in my case, they weren't too sure what it was I, <laughs> I was doing. So I've had to do quite a bit of ex explaining, but um, most people know somebody who has had cancer treatment. Yeah. So there is definitely um, an awareness of it from that respect and definitely an appreciation for it as well. So um, yeah, I think even though we might not be totally aware of all the rules within the NHS or what people actually do, we do all individually use the NHS on a fairly regular basis, whether it be for something no quite minor or serious. So I think most people, yeah. certainly after the pandemic, are much more aware that people have been working quite hard throughout and how mm. much we do rely on these professionals um, do, do to you take care we're a of bit us more appreciative of the NHS since the pandemic. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I know I am for sure. Um, yeah, and in fact, just on on the on the kind of on the side of bigging up the NHS, um, I very much appreciate it more. I think um, since the pandemic, but even before then, actually, if it wasn't for the NHS, I'm not sure I would be here. I think I would actually have died as a child, and I think my wife would probably have died um, during when we were having children. So you know. <laughs> And that's, those stories probably aren't that uncommon. So I think we pay the NHS more than we probably uh, say uh, frequently. So with, with that in mind, um, do you guys look forward to Monday morning? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, well, again, I, I come from a shift working background, uh, being airline cabin crew prior to this. So, um, yeah, I, I'm quite happy working shifts. Luckily, with the career I'm, I'm heading for we at the moment tend to work mostly monday to friday um apart from on call which is not not all that often because it's spread across the department but having said that yeah that doesn't doesn't deter me at all because a monday morning um would be quite different to any other monday morning anyway oh. you know, each patient is different um you're working with different teams day to day as well so um I'd say an attraction of working with the NHS, again, depending, I suppose, on the role you're in, um, is that something, yeah, each day is going to be different anyway, so you don't get that regular Monday yeah. morning feeling. But you did mention something very important there. You were talking about shift work, because I, I don't know what the percentage of people that work in the NHS have to do shift work, but that's that's a big deal, actually. That doesn't kind of suit everyone. Uh, what's what's uh, your experience of shift work? Have you had an experience yet in your course? Not, not not so much within the NHS. I, I haven't um, done shift work other than weekend work. Um, but I would, again, not want people to be deterred thinking that NHS work means shift work because that, that that's not true at all. Certain roles, you won't be able to avoid it. Um, but even as you progress through your career, you could still potentially pick and choose um, certain departments or certain hospitals or certain areas within that role that you would probably be able to avoid some of it so yeah doctors and nurses I think <laughs> that that's going to be very much a way of life but in the allied um, healthcare professionals um, in all the other jobs that you mentioned in terms of uh, the supportive administration roles and all that sort of thing it's a it's, it can quite easily be a regular Monday to Friday job as well so yeah um, if yeah if you had a good look at all the roles you'd find something that fitted your criteria. Good. Right. Well, I mean, chatting to you both, it, it certainly seems that you are very happy to have uh, gone down this path. So I, I, you know, I wish you both the very best of luck. 
Uh, lastly, let me ask, if people are thinking about a career in the NHS and they'd like to find out a bit more about all the different kind of things that are available, medical and non-medical and all the rest of it and what it all entails, is there a good um, resource for people to find out about this stuff? And that, you know, if so, yeah, if so what is it? There's some fantastic resources. I mean, it's simple really, as really just Googling NHS careers that would bring up yeah. plenty of information. But there is a um, jobs.nhsuk website, which um, quite clearly breaks down uh, a wide range of roles. So if yeah, it would be a good starting point if you didn't even know what to go for or if you, had, mm -hmm. if you don't have a particular interest, um, it would give you a lot of opportunities to investigate further. Um, and then through the website, it, it leads you to various links to, to discover more. Okay. When, well, um, when I was, when I didn't quite know what area of nursing I wanted to go down and I wasn't sure what paths I could go down, because yeah. I think it's really important that people know as well that you don't have to go to university to become a nurse. Um, so when I started looking into this as a career, obviously I already had a degree. It was a creative degree. It wasn't, you know, science or medical related. And there's actually um, opportunities for people to do top up degrees. And what they'll do is, is they'll kind of work with like a portfolio and work experience on top of what they've already got. So in some cases, you know, you don't even need to go back to university I did and I wanted to and I'm quite lucky that I was able to um but I actually started with going to NHS careers and I had a call I can't remember the lady's name I had a call with somebody I think called Sam and I chatted to her about what qualifications I'd had what I wanted to do where I was living like my like living circumstances and the first thing that I did is I just spoke to a few local universities and they kind of pointed me in the right direction of, well, I was too late graduating to do a top up degree, but there was, you know, other universities in the area. And I think as well, what people should really look into is the NHS now doing um, a scheme called the Nursing Associate Programme. So with that, you actually start work as a band three nurse and you learn and train at the same time. Mm -hmm. When you've qualified for that, there's then um, a decision at the end if you want to go on and do a degree as like a top up on what you've got. Okay. So that would mean then I think you would probably qualify doing that on a band three or four wage. And if you were to go to university and top it up, you would then qualify on a band five. So I just think it's really important because I've spoke to friends who really want to get into nursing and they're saying, well, you know, I've got a family to support. I can't go to university, but actually university isn't the only option for people. And I think the more people that know about that, mm. I think it actually relieves a little bit of pressure and think, well, I haven't got to go back to education. I, I think that's a very important point. So thank you. Thank you, Vic, for, for mentioning that. Um, both of you or one of you. Give that website one more time so people can hear it. You mentioned it, Tamarin. Uh, Jobs.nhs.uk. Perfect. Guys. Oh, I yeah, NHS careers. Um, I think people, I hope people will find that uh, interesting and make them sit up and think about a potential uh, career in the NHS. So thank you very much indeed, Vic and Tamarin, for chatting. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And thank, yeah, thank you for promoting roles within the NHS. Very much to my guests on this week's show. And of course, thank you to you for listening. That was the Relax Back UK show with me, Mike Dill. Thank you for listening. And please do join us again next time.